Amen. Amen. Thank you, choir. Thank you, Carlos. Uh, Carlos and I this week had the privilege of going up to Kingwood to sit with one of our members, uh, Emery Bourne, and we read Psalm 46 to him, which says, Be still and know that I am God. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you and ask that you would speak. We are your servants. We will listen. If there is some word that you want us to hear today, I pray that we will not miss it. Let us not miss it. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. In our study of family, we come today to um, a study of parenting. We've talked for four weeks about marriage, and uh, I hope that uh, that has helped us. I'm continuing to think about marriage, and last week we thought about what it meant to be um, children of our parents. I love the story that Bobby Bowden, the retired Florida State coach, tells about the evangelist that came to their church and he was preaching to them and, and uh, Bobby and his wife and their six kids were sitting on one pew. I mean, they had packed a pew and the preacher looked at them and he, he said, let me ask you something, sir. He said, you've got a lot of kids. He said, let me ask you a question. If I extended an I-beam across the floor here 40 feet long and it was about a foot off the ground and said, if you walk across this beam, I'll give you $20, would you do it? Bobby Bowden said, sure, I'd do it. He said, well, what if I extended it between two high-rise buildings in New York City. For $20, would you do it? And he said, no, I wouldn't do it. He said, now, if I was holding one of your kids on the end of one of that, of that I-beam, and I said, if you don't walk across this I-beam, I'm going to drop your kid, would you do it? And Bowden thought for a moment, he said, which kid? <laughs> well, you know, we don't get to choose our kids, do we? There, there was that, that mom who uh, the pastor asked her, a single mom had raised three kids by herself, said, if you had it to do over again, would you have three kids? She said, yes, I would, but I'd have different kids. And so we, chat, we struggle with the challenge of parenting, don't we? And uh, I come to you again with, with deep humility in this. God is teaching me a number of things from his word these days, and it's my joy to, to try to share these with you. And I invite you to open your Bibles with me again to Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 1 through 4. I remember when we brought uh, our children home from the hospital and then when we brought uh, Casey home uh, just uh, late last year from uh, the courtroom and they became ours. And I remember thinking at some point, we forgot to pick up the manual. (laughs) There should have been an instruction book for parenting. And there really isn't a manual, but there is help in God's Word. And uh, we have something better than a manual. Let me show you today. Let's stand together as we read God's Word, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. You remember verses 1 to 3. We looked at this last week. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Thank you. You may be seated. 
Even fathers and mothers have a father. In fact, if you envision Ephesians being read, as I said last week, to a congregation for the very first time and parents and children were in the room, surely when Paul said in verse 4, our verse 4, fathers do not exasperate your children, what was still echoing in the ears resonating in the chambers of the hearts of the people were all the words that he had already spoken about the Father. How in the beginning he had blessed that church at Ephesus by saying, grace and peace to you from God our Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 1 verse 3 he said, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. How he would go on to say, every family in earth and heaven is named For this Father, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, how we have one God and Father who is over all and through all and in all, chapter 4, verse 6. But I think the one that must still come to our minds is chapter 1, verse 17, when he says, "This, this Father will give you the spirit of wisdom and enlightenment. How much we need as fathers and mothers today the wisdom and enlightenment of the Heavenly Father, the spirit of wisdom. He said, we don't have a manual, but we do have a guide because our Heavenly Father has given us the spirit of wisdom so that we will know at all times in every way what He would have us do And there is great comfort in that for us as we understand that what he says to us is that, that we are in the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. He begins, that's the first book in, and at the end of parenting he says, raise them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. God is with us. We don't have a manual, but we do have Emmanuel God is with us, and if God is for us, who can be against us? Be encouraged today as he says to us as parents that we have this great privilege that we, there are some things we shouldn't do, like exasperate our kids, and there are some things we should do, like educate our kids. And in God's presence, we have the strength we need. Let me give you this encouragement today. There is nobody else on this earth who can coach your kids better than you. I give thanks to God for for ministers and for counselors, for principals and for school teachers, for all those who come alongside us in this work of parenting our kids. But the truth is, we cannot abdicate this role There is no replacement for us. This is our work and God is with us in this work of raising our kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And the God who is with us superintends this work so that if we train them up in the way they should go, when they are old, it doesn't say when they are young, but when they are old, they will not depart from it and we hold on to that promise today there's some things we shouldn't do as parents he says of fathers and even as he says fathers don't exasperate your children we remember that in the ancient Roman culture there was patria potestas the uh, father's absolute power over his children I said my father's from the Ozark Mountains he doesn't know Latin but he practiced patria potestas but in most families 
parenting is a shared work. And I know we talk about a united front, but can I just remind you today that Melanie and I don't corporately have a relationship with our kids, but we do each have a relationship with each of our kids, and we have a relationship with each other. And so together we work and we support each other, but we can't replace each other. We share in that work together. And in uh, Edwin Ferber's book, Giant, about um, a wealthy uh, Texas uh, rancher, he shares the story of this, uh, this man named Jordan Benedict who has his first son, names him Jordan Jr., calls him Jordy, and by the time he's three years old, he's putting him on a horse. But Jordy doesn't like riding horses. And Jordan is chagrined by that. And he says, I'm going to make a horseman out of this boy if I have to tie him to the saddle. And his wife says, but it's not about you, Jordan. He's not you. And you've been playing God so long that you think you rule every person. He said, I rule my part of God's creation. And she said, but, but Jordy is not yours He's yours and mine. He's ours. He's not just ours. He's himself. Well, she spoke a mouthful when she recognized that our kids are products of us and yet they have their uniqueness and our goal is that they themselves would come to own relationship with God, that they would come to know Him and walk with Him and we can't do that for them And we exasperate our kids sometimes because we get wrapped up in ourselves and in trying somehow to live our lives vicariously through them so that that their successes somehow become our successes and their failures somehow become our failures. And kids know that they can't bear the weight of our self-esteem. That their lives are not really about us. Their lives are about them and their relationship with God. It's an important word for us. Maybe you saw that Time magazine cover called The Tiger Mom. It's kind of raised a stir. The article started out, I think, in the Wall Street Journal. Amy Chua, this wonderfully successful professor, talks about her upbringing and her culture and how she says, the reason my kids are more successful than your kids is because I would not accept failure as an answer because I drilled it in them from the day they were born. There were certain things my kids were not allowed to do. Listen to her list. They were not, she had two daughters. They were not allowed to attend a sleepover. They were not allowed to have a play date. They were not allowed to be in a school play. They were not allowed to complain about not being in a school play. They were not allowed to watch TV or play computer games ever. They were not allowed to choose their own extracurricular activities or get any grade less than an A. Or, nor were they allowed to be less than number one in every academic subject. They were not allowed to play any instrument other than the piano or violin. And they were not allowed not to play either the piano or the violin. And she said, when my youngest daughter was trying not to play the piano we had a moment where I reminded her that I didn't care about her self-esteem she said that it was not about her that she owed me everything and when she wouldn't play the piece right the way her big sister had played it I called her what my mother called me I said you're garbage she said and the little girl worked harder 
and she played. And there was a picture of her in the Time Magazine article, this little girl who had now grown up playing at Carnegie Hall. And I read it and I wondered, what if our kids play at Carnegie Hall and think that they're garbage? What if they call our grandkids garbage? Is that our definition of success? And by the way, this is not ethnically bounded. There are controlling parents in almost every culture that you can find. There was a corrective article that followed that article. A, a young woman, Korean woman named Ilyan uh, Wu, who, who told her story and... and um, She called it an Asian father's gift, the right to fail. She said she was struggling with math, getting C minuses and fretting over that. And she came home one day and wept. And her father said, well, what if you fail the class? And she said, well, then I wouldn't have a good transcript and I couldn't get into college. And he said, would that be the end of the world? I grew up in North Korea. He said, my parents wanted me to be a doctor. I dropped out of medical school to become an architect. I fled North Korea and came to the United States And I don't think it's the end of the world if you fail that math class. In fact, I want you to try to fail it. Just try to fail it. Try to fail. Do your best to fail that class. She said she thinks she got through with a D or F. She doesn't remember. But she went on to study at Yale and to get her Ph.D. at Columbia. And she said, my father gave me the gift of allowing me to fail. I'm not asking if you allow your kids to sin. That's a different question. But do our kids know that even if they fail, we will still love them? It's an important question because it exasperates our kids if we're living vicariously through them, if somehow we think that their lives are about us. I was reading Roberta Gilbert's book again this week, pages 141 and 142. She talks about the healthy boundaries in family, how you have to be a self, and to help your kid be himself or herself, you have to work on yourself and your relationship with your spouse. And we're still working on that so that our kids will know how they can grow up and work on their relationships as well. But She says it's possible to trample all over our kids' boundaries. And I read the list and then I read it to Melanie. Melanie did a lot better on this than I did. But here are things that you can do to exasperate your kids. Tell her what to do when she already, when you know she knows what to do. Dress her when she, when you know she can dress herself. Check his room needlessly. Worry. Hover. Make a bigger deal than necessary out of hairstyles and dress codes. Think about her more than you do yourself or your relationship with your spouse. Let his achievements determine your sense of emotional well-being. That exasperates a child. Take on her unacceptable behavior as your own problem without letting the natural consequences do their necessary work. Can I tell you something? The idea that we can control our kids is a myth. I know when they're one or two, you can make them do what you want them to do. But try it at 21 or 22. 
Try to make them do. You can't control them. And the more you try, the harder it is. You've got to give them instruction. You've got to love them. You've got to lead them. But you can't make them do what you want them to do. And the more you do, the more it exasperates them and you. And they step on your boundaries and you step on theirs. And Paul just says, fathers, we would say fathers and mothers, do not exasperate your children. But as an alternative, why not educate your children Why not lead them in relationship with the Lord so that you bring them up in nurture and admonition? That's the King James Version in, uh, as he says here, discipline and instruction, training and instruction. We're to bring our kids up. Nobody else can be their parents. That's our responsibility. My cousin Garth was on the view the other day he's not my close cousin but I assume he's my distant cousin because we have the same last name and <laughs> Garth was on the view and they said to him so how are you doing with parenting your kids and he said you know my kids don't need me to be their friend they have lots of friends they need me to be their parent and show them the difference between right and wrong well there's truth in that how do we do that well More is caught than taught. More is caught than taught. And so what they see us do. And so the first word he uses has to do with our actions. Training is about action. It's a word that speaks of what we do and the way that we act toward our kids. The word is paideia. In fact, it's used in the book of Hebrews. It's used in that section, verses 5 to 11, where it says, The ones the Lord loves He disciplines, he trains. It's used there, I think, in a corrective kind of sense. But what God is trying to do is to train us, to teach us, to help us become who he wants us to be. We are to raise our children in the training. It involves work and it involves example. Somebody has said, if you don't take your kids to church regularly, you shoot yourself in the foot, you shoot them in the leg, and you shoot your grandchildren in the heart. There's something to be said. Did you see that statistic? Maybe some of you saw the Keith Lowry presentation where he put up the statistics that talked about if mom and dad go to church together, a certain number of kids, 33%, will, will go to church. If uh, neither mom nor dad goes, it'll be like 4% of kids will go to church regularly. But moms alone, only 3%. Uh, dads with moms uh, coming a little bit, 38% of your kids, it's going up. Dads alone, 44% of kids. It's as if to say, dads, you in some ways bear responsibility for spiritual leadership in your families. You don't bear it alone. You and your wife share that, but nobody can do it for you. Nobody can take the place of you. I remember when our our boys... um, we're younger, and one time I had a surgery. I think it's the longest, other than my sabbatical, I ever went without preaching. I was off for three weeks after emergency surgery. And, and uh, the whole time, I was just reading scripture. Some of you brought me books. I was reading books. I was journaling. And I overheard my son talking to his friend on his phone. He said, yeah, he's been writing sermons the whole time. Because to him, if I was writing in a journal and had my Bible open, I must be writing a sermon as though, as though my job were my love for Christ. But... It was a teachable moment when I could say to him, you know, I'm not writing sermons. I'm just loving God. Because before I was a vocational preacher, I loved God. And I loved His Word. And it was a great season of teaching in my own life. But also a chance to say to him, 
My love for God is not the same thing as my job. There's a separation between those two. And even if you don't have my job, you still get to love God. You still get to love His Word. And it was a time of training and discipline. It's a word that speaks of discipline. And then the other word, I think, is less about what we do and more about what we say. The word is nuthesia. Uh, Here it is instruction. Some translations say admonition. It might be correction, but it literally means to put in mind. The words that we speak put things in our kids' minds. So what if we envision a bright future for them? What if we speak words of encouragement to them? The alternative, as Paul has shown us in another letter, Colossians 3.21, is that we embitter our kids and they become discouraged. But this word says that when we correct them, when we show them their boundaries, when we sometimes build walls against things that would be harmful in their lives, when we take action, that when we do that, far from discouraging them, it encourages them. When we show them that there are boundaries. And that's hard for us sometimes. I have a friend who says, if you're a second born and your wife is a third born, you may have a hard time telling your first born what to do because he's a first born. She's a first born. And you're a second born and a third born. The position of being in charge of the world was already taken when you were born. But when your child was born, he or she was very willing to assume that role. So our work is sometimes to correct To put in their minds the truth and always to encourage. There's a beautiful story. You remember um, Sean and and Leanne Tui who adopted Michael Orr and they made a movie about it called Blindside. One of the best movies last year. And They were speaking recently and Sean Tui told about a program. Maybe you knew about this. I didn't know that there's a program that when kids time out of the foster care system in our country a small number of them become interns in Washington, D.C. It's a chance for them to experience a a whole different world. And one boy who assumed that role was working for a senator that the Tuies knew. And the senator came in one morning, and this boy had was the first one there. He was reorganizing the mailroom. And the senator said, how long have you been here? He said, I've been here for a couple hours. He said, you're the first one here. The boy said, yeah, I'm glad to have this job. He said, well, I've never seen this mailroom look as good as it looks right now. You've done a good job. And he turned away to walk in his room, and he heard the boy behind him burst into tears and begin to sob. And he said, no, 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 I said it was good. I didn't say it was bad. Did I say something to hurt you? Did I offend you? He said, no, sir. But that's the first time in my whole life anybody ever told me I did anything well. And I want to thank you for saying that I did this well. Maybe you had parents who told you often that you did well. Or maybe you're still waiting for somebody to tell you you did it well. I remember remember how Jesus at strategic moments in his life... How his father showed up. And what did he say? This is my beloved son. I love, I love him. And in him, I am well pleased. Be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Paul would say at the beginning of chapter 5. Be imitators of God. When we say to our children and other people's children, you did Well, we are being imitators of God as dearly loved children. And the hope is that they will love God and they will come to know Him 
Some of you have read Bob Buford's book, Halftime, and in that book he tells the story of his 24-year-old son Ross who was lost uh, in the Rio Grande River on a swimming expedition, swept away downstream. They found him some days later. But in Ross's will, 24 years young, he had already comprised a will, and in that will he said, um, if you're reading this, you need to know I had a good life that I was loved by my parents, and importantly, you should know, I'm in a better place. Isn't that what we want for our kids? That they would know God here and live with Him there forever. And how do we do that? Don't exasperate them. Educate them. Bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And on your darkest night, you remember this. You're not in this alone. He will give you the spirit of wisdom. And He's the only one who can. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for loving us the way You do. Hard to imagine life without You. Some of us today are celebrating the truth of children and grandchildren. We say with the Apostle John, we have no greater joy than this, that our children walk in the truth. And others of us today, Lord, are just trying to hold on because that's all we can do right now. But I thank you, Lord, when we don't even feel like we can hold on to you, that even then and always, you are holding on to us. Help us to hold on to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.